Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, where each week Jonathan and his co-host interview the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning, and online marketing. Jonathan, take it away. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Show. This is episode 579. Yes, 579. Uh, I, I sometimes oversay this, but we've got a really great guest this week. We've got A.D. Pierna, the joint founder of WooCommerce, and a couple of other startups. So, A.D., would you like to um, give the listeners and viewers a quick intro, a 20-second intro about yourself? Yeah, totally. And I think the first thing is for anyone that can see is I actually had a mate of mine who recently joined WooCommerce, um, Steel, Steel, get me some WooCommerce swag that came just in time for, for this interview, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, as you as you mentioned there, Jonathan, I, I'm a co-founder and WooThemes and WooCommerce. Um, I subsequently left and uh, founded another company called Conversio, where we built email marketing automation software for e-commerce brands. So really continuing that kind of that journey for me about working with e-commerce brands. Sold Conversion to Campaign Monitor in August 2019. Spent last year with Campaign Monitor and then recently spun up a new startup called Cogsy where we're helping e-commerce brands make smarter purchasing decisions. And even if that wasn't enough, he's uh, he's written a book, Life Profitability, The New Measure of entrepreneurial success. So you, you just do the odd thing. You only multitask <laughs> a little bit, do you, right? And I've also got my great co-host, Stephen Saunders. Stephen, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the new listeners and viewers? Yeah, Stephen Souter from zipfish.io. Uh, we make WordPress fast by optimizing themes, plugins, and the code that runs on the server. And before we go into the main areas of the interview, um, I'll be asking idea about the early days of WooCommerce and has he got any new reflections about those early days then in the second half we'll be talking about um, his book and the main things that he is attempting to get across in the book and then in the bonus content it's going to be a free for all and we're just going to throw in anything that comes to our mind during the interview. But before we get into the main part, um, I just want to talk about one of my major sponsors, and that's Kinster Hosting. Kinster Hosting is a WordPress-only hosting provider. I think they're one of the better ones on the market. Um, A great team. I cannot sing their praises higher. Great people to work with. And they provide great technology as well. Google Cloud, great interface, all the bells and whistles that you're looking for as a developer, not only for yourself, but for your clients. If that sounds attractive, and it should do, I suggest that you go over to Kinsta, have a look at their um, what they've got to offer and buy one of their packages for yourself or for your clients. And please, if you do do that, please tell Kinsta that you heard about them on the WP Tonic Show. It really helps Kinsta, and it really does support the show substantially. So into the main... And, and, sorry, sorry Jonathan, but by serendipitously, I, I am a Kinsta customer as well with Cogsy, nice. right? So doubling, doubling down on the ad there. So anyone that sends... Um, you tell Kinsta about hearing this about about them on the Dolly Platonic show. Like tell them AD was on the show and AD loves t-shirts. Right. <laughs> well, right, that's great. Mate. What more can you ask for, Kinsta? Um so let's go into the main part of the first half. So, you know, I think because I I think you live in America 
now, but you were based in South Africa in the early days. Is that correct yeah. of WooCommerce? Yeah, and I'm and I'm still in Cape Town, South Africa. Born and bred here. Never had a never had the desire to live you know, elsewhere in the world. Well, wow, that's fantastic to hear. Um, it's a beautiful country. Unfortunately, I've never been here, but a lot of my family have visited South Africa, so I know a fair bit about it. Um, so. How did you get into, um, you know, building WooCommerce? What was the early days? Why did you get involved with your co-founders in the e-commerce space, AD? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the, so the precursor to WooCommerce was just WooThemes. And WooThemes was um, at the height of, I think, so I, I built the first theme that became WooThemes, um, first theme that led me to meeting Magnus and Mark um, way back in 2007. And at that stage, um, the only others that were doing similar was, um, one of them was Brian Gardner, right, who eventually founded New Studio Press. Um, but it was a very kind of a new space. Um, and that's really where we started as WooThemes, right? We were building themes on top of WordPress. It was in those days where people were kind of testing the limits of what WordPress could be doing, right? Trying to do other things that weren't just kind of your your typical kind of your blogs showing showing a bunch of posts in a chrono, chronological order. And um, what effectively happened was we stumbled through this category of kind of themes that we called business themes back then. But it was a, that typical kind of brochure-like website that kind of most businesses, any industry would need to kind of get, give them this online presence. And it was a, it, it grew so fast, um, became so popular, and then those customers of ours just kept asking us, hey, how do I add a shopping cart to this? And that was that that genesis. Like we we initially thought um, kind of the, and WooCommerce itself has a slightly longer story, but the we initially tried to just use plugins that were out there because we thought we were a themes company. We never thought we were, um, you know, a platform company, right? Or a plugins company, um, which is what, what it eventually became, right? I mean, you know, after eventually launching WooCommerce, I believe 20, late 2010, early 2011. But within a year, um, it completely flipped the business to where WooCommerce was 90% of the revenue, right? So in that, that stage, I mean, we're talking about a four-year-old company completely flipping its revenue from one product category to this whole new thing. Wow. Wow. That, that, that's an insight. Uh, over to you, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, with... With developing WooCommerce, um, when you decided to take on the whole e-commerce space, that adds a lot of complexity. Like jumping from themes to e-commerce is a pretty is a pretty big step. Was that something that was like debated a lot internally, like inside the company? Like, is this something we actually want to take on, or were you guys very optimistic? Like, oh no, like we we figured out all this theme stuff. Like we know what we're doing. This is like we we can you know we can dominate this space. Or was it like, hey, let's dabble in this. Let's see what happens. Who knows? Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Actually, so I think all of our we essentially have three failed attempts um, to trying to create something like WooCommerce, and I don't think we had the name even. Um, but essentially, our own e-commerce platform, um, and all of them were. I would say at arm's length, i.e. not fully committed to it because we didn't think we had the DNA in us. And I actually think that the the part of the WooCommerce story that often doesn't get told um, with, I think, with enough vigor and with enough transparency is the fact that, um, you know, when WooCommerce, kind of the WooCommerce itself as a product was a fork of another open source 
product called Chica Shop. And, um, you know, Jay, Jay Coster, Mike Jolly, who were the kind of the, the lead engineer and designer on that product, we kind of, you know, hired them, right? And I think they they came in and they effectively, from a product standpoint at least, directed where things needed to go. And I think Mangus, Mark, and I were great at identifying talent, right, and giving them all the resources they need, the strategic guidance, et cetera. But I don't think kind of, you know, when you when you think about, you know, doing things slightly outside of your comfort zone, like being able to trust people that you work with, like Jay and Mike were like integral to that. I, I don't think without them, WooCommerce exists today, mm. right, as an example. Well, right? um, I was going to ask you about this because obviously there, there was a little bit of um, controversialism around that. Um, a lot of it I thought was extremely unfair to you and your other joint founders of WooCommerce because some people in the community at the time said you, you literally, I don't think they said it directly, but in a roundabout way, which isn't unusual in WordPress, they literally said you stole the code, um, which is totally, I don't know where to get it from. First, it's open source, so anybody can use the code. They could use WooCommerce code. Um, and secondly, my understanding, and I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but my understanding of it is that you made an offer to buy the business and the people rejected it. And some of the key staff decided that you were better entrepreneurs than their employees. And because it's not slavery, they've got every right to, to go and find employment wherever they like. Have I got the basic facts right? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, even in hindsight, um, I'm, you know, I, I, I kind of get it right. But I think, like, um, you know, when anyone builds a business on, on top of an open source platform, whether it's WordPress or something else, then they also buy into these things, whether they agree with it or not, right? Like, th those aren't, like, you, you can't play a game and acknowledge what the rules are and then pick and choose which rules you want to adhere to and which you don't. Like, all of those things construct the game, and that's just the dynamics of it. Like, th I think that's the first thing that I will say to it, which is why, like, you know, to me, it's almost a moot point. We did nothing illegal. We did nothing unethical, right? We just did something people didn't like, and I don't think that's enough of a reason to not do something. The second part of it is can I, that... Can I just interrupt? Yeah. On reflecting back, why do you think they they didn't like it? Why did you think some people in the community started to start gunning for you and your other co-founders? I, I, I got feel it's insecurity, right? I think many people that were building products in the space looked at it and said like, well, if 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 we could do this to Gigashop, like who else can do this to us, right? Which, and effectively, what that means is that I keep telling people that you know those initial experiences for me as an entrepreneur really shaped and still shapes the way I think about entrepreneurship in a way that I don't think entrepreneurship and building a business is a zero sum game, right? So like I am all for competition, a rising tide lifts all boats, all of those kind of things because. WordPress and WooCommerce, WooThemes and WooCommerce taught me a single thing, which is if, if like IP, right, isn't your defensible moat, right, that you can build here, you have to do other things. And with Woo, what we did was we were absolutely superb at branding, at marketing, right, and the customer service. So I think, like, people had insecurities there. They, they I think the people who were kind of, you know, frustrated by our decision there 
probably looked at their own businesses, their own products and thought that, hey, my code is the most valuable thing that I have and this can just be forked. And that's not great, right? Which, which again meant like, that's probably misaligned then with that business model of then don't build something on open source software. Yeah, over to you, Stephen. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good perspective. Like, I think too often, like even me, like I want to hold on to like that secret sauce, right? Which is like it's easy to say, oh, that's that's the actual code that I'm writing, or that's the patents that I have. Um, but when it comes down to like the actual thing that that's makes up such a little component of why somebody engages with a company or buys from a company. And um, it is a little bit like, it's a little naive to say that uh, my thing is like that secret sauce that only like, like this is what I have to protect. Like, no, you, you have to like look at it like from a much global, a much larger global view where it's that brand, it's that marketing, it's the support, because all of those things come along with that product. Like, it's not just, oh, here's some code, run it or don't run it. Like, you need support for that. You need to know that that company has your back and um, that, you know, it's being iterated on. And the the surest way to succeed, like, in any industry is just, like, iterate faster. Like, be better than the other guys. Like, it's not about the actual patent that you have. Like, sure, it could be, or if you're building, like, an actual product, right? But, like, in 20 years or 40 years or whatever the patent law is, like it's going to be gone. Like you got to be faster. You got to be better. You got to you got to do things uh, and be competitive on multiple levels. Um, so that's yeah, exactly. And I and I'll actually add um, without calling out the the company in the recent past, but there's a there's a company in the e-commerce space building a checkout product, and they've raised they've raised a ton of money. Like literally, I can't remember the last number. You know, north of hundred million dollars in the, just the last two years went from kind of your co-founders to two hundred plus people. And the challenge in that, then I'll kind of you know, bring it back to how this relates to, especially to Jay and Mike and WooCommerce and Jiggershop back in the day is, I think like it's all dandy because the founder was on Twitter the other day saying like, this is a rocket ship. Like everyone wants to join my company, whatnot. And I pointed out and I said, you know what? It is very, very easy for anyone to join a rock, kind of a, a fast growing startup and get paid a lot of money, right? That's an easy decision. As soon as shit hits the fan, I don't know whether I'm allowed to sh- gonna swear, yeah, but as soon as shit hits the, it, it's, it's the fan, right? Then those people are off, right? Because there isn't that kind of that that connective tissue, that bigger purpose of actually being here, right? Yeah. And I think if if we bring that back to ultimately, like, and I I don't want to, I, I don't mean this as criticism of Jigger Shop, right? But ultimately, we had made Jay and Mike an offer, right? Which they accepted, right? And, and in that sense, it was a free market. And we obviously had something there for them that was more attractive, more aligned with what they needed or wanted to do personally, right? And to your point, Stephen, I think that when you do those kinds of things in business, and especially around people, like that's when you start building that much more wholesome, defensible emote. It's not just this one single thing. Because if it's only your tech, if it's only your code, that's a single point of failure in your business. And like business, especially if you want to build a long-term, bigger business, needs to be more robust, more resilient than a single point of failure. Yeah, yeah, that's a really, that's a really good point. I mean, like take like some of like. Uh like easy digital downloads, like just to like name another like competitor, like in that same space. Right. Um, like one reason why, like I trust their products and like Sand Hills development, like as, as a group of people is because like, I like some of the stuff that they put out and they have some really smart people working there. And so to me, it's more than just, Oh, here's a plugin that fulfills the need. It's like, no, here's a group of guys that I resonate with and I like what they're doing and I like how their approach to life. And so like, to me, it's more than just a, 
checkout system for, you know, a digital download. It's like, no, I, I like the company behind it. And I'm going to choose them over anybody else right now because of much more than just the code that's running underneath the hood. Yeah, exactly. I think that's great. Now, um, when you decided or... I just want to ask you about when Automatic took over WooCommerce. Um, was you actively in your joint partners, were you actively looking for a, a buyout or was it a situation where uh, Automatic approached you and then you thought, well, you know, somebody really, um, a serious company really wants to buy our company for a substantial amount of money. We should consider this. Um, which one was it? Or was it a mixture of both? Yeah, so um, I'll share another one of those stories that is definitely public knowledge, but I don't think people necessarily connect the dots um, and like clearly, right? Um, so the simple answer is we'd always had interest in WooCommerce, both from kind of your venture capitalists yeah. to other acquirers. So they were always on a radar. There was like, and it was significant interest at all times. Um, I actually stepped down as CEO of Woo end of November, I think in November, early December 2013. Um, and I, at that stage, sold my equity to Magnus and Mark. So I was not familiar. I'm still, to this day, I do not know. Um, I don't know any of the details with regards to the automatic deal. I found out about the deal when it was announced um, on TechCrunch on that day, for example. So again, like many people, um, they don't... I, I said, I, I've been public about that. I, I wasn't involved. I was out by that stage. Um, but I don't think people necessarily... What led to, you don't want me asking, you don't want me asking, what led to that actual particular decision? Yeah, um, I think, uh, you know, probably some context first, which was, I think for Magnus Mark and myself, you know, WooCommerce, you know, Woo, you know, the whole Woo, but let's just say WooCommerce was really a, a roller coaster ride in the sense that, um, you know, we were first time entrepreneurs. We were we were learning kind of, you know, as we were doing, right? We weren't, it wasn't like we were prepped and well-versed in terms of what this should look like. And I think um, as, as the business grew and developed, we also grew and developed as individuals. And what I got, I got to a point where for me at least, um, I, I love a challenge and I wanted to see like how far and how big can this thing go. And Mag and Mark had different considerations at that stage. And I had a very, very concrete idea of what I wanted to build um, back then. Um, and that idea is still on the radar now. I, I actually had a, I will name drop this at least. Um, I had a chat about you know, with Matt Mullenweg about this literally a couple of weeks ago, right? But Mag and Mark didn't feel at that stage that um, that we were ready. It wasn't within our DNA, and what definitely wasn't that I can agree with. It was an ambitious project, and um, when we decided that we weren't going to do that in Wu, I decided that as a kind of as an individual, as as AD, I needed a new challenge, um, and that morphed into something a little bigger for me, which was I wanted to prove that I can build another successful business. I wanted to prove that I can take all these learnings from the last couple of years, I can distill the best things, um, and I can reapply that into a new business. So I ultimately made a very personal decision there to step away to found another company. And, um, you know, the one thing that I can say there is, you know, even if the reported numbers in terms of automatic acquisition of Wu is, you know, off by 50%, it means that I sold for a massive discount compared to kind of what Magnus Mark sold for 18 months later. 
and the honesty and all of that is, I've never regretted that for a single point in my life, right? Um, purely because I had to tick this box of, can I do this again? Um, and I ultimately did that. I mean, as I mentioned, I sold you know, Converger to Campaign Monitor 18 months ago. But um, yeah, that that is that whole story. I mean, it wasn't, um, it's nothing kind of nefarious and that it was ultimately just a, me figuring out what, you know, what I really wanted to do next, regardless of the success we had had up until that point. Oh, that's great. We're going to go for our break. When we come back, we'll be talking about Aileen's new book, Life Profitability, the new measure of entrepreneurial success. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. LaunchFlows turns your WooCommerce website into a selling machine. We make it easy to create gorgeous sales funnels, no friction checkouts, order bumps, upsells, downsells, and much more. Gain full control over your buyer's journey from the top of your WooCommerce sales funnel all the way to the bottom. Best of all, you can use your favorite page builder, such as Elementor, Divi, Beaver Builder, Gutenberg, or one of the high-converting templates we've included inside. Get rid of the clunky WooCommerce shop pages and checkout process in favor of an optimized buyer flow that instantly increases conversions and makes you more money. LaunchFlows provides one-click order bumps that increase the total value of every sale with a 10-30% to 30% conversion rate. This is perfect for anyone offering complimentary products, training, or extended warranties. With unlimited upsells and downsells, your buyer's journey doesn't need to end at the checkout. Instead, we make it easy to display a series of additional offers as part of the original transaction. This is perfect for one-time offers, related products, mastermind class offers, high-ticket software sales, or subscription supplements. Not an expert? Don't worry. We've got the training and the consultation you need. WP Launchify will teach you how to get the most out of launch flows with personal consultation on WordPress, WooCommerce, marketing automation, and much more. If you want to earn more money with your WooCommerce online business, you owe it to yourself to try Launch Flows today. We're coming back. We've had AD on the show, the joint founder of WooCommerce. I've really enjoyed the conversation so far. I hope, hopefully you've enjoyed it, AD. I think, I think we've already covered some interesting territory. So on to your book. I haven't read the book, but I have listened extensively to a number of your um, interviews. What I get about what you're trying with the book is that difficult um, balance between total identification, your personal, your total personal identification with a business and the pros and also the downfalls of that and also why that sometimes can be a bit difficult. And the other factor I get from it is that I'm not trying to be sexist here at all, but I think women in some ways are more successful in keeping not totally identifying all their identity with their business, their personal identity. They always have the ability to... Um, break their identity into certain areas. Um, am I totally off about one of the main points you were trying to make? And um, what do you think I've just stated? 
Yeah. Um, I'll probably start with the latter. I think, you know, one thing that I've learned over the years, Jonathan, is this, um, this, really this notion of toxic masculinity. And I think, unfortunately, that toxic masculinity, for all the wrong reasons, has gotten intertwined in, in capitalism, mostly because it was, it's also a system and a kind of a, a view of society that was constructed by a bunch of old white guys, right? So I think that, that I don't know, it's just off, right? And I think, I ultimately think that we've made entrepreneurship and we've made capitalism and we've made success such a kind of brute force pursuit, such a binary, like, yes, you're successful or no, you're not successful. Yes, you're good enough or no, you're not good enough. And I, like, I, I think I just came, I, and I'm actually pretty riled up and I need to, and I know that that's the, you know, the, the masculine energy in me as well. Um, I think what I've just learned is that there is, there's so much more to life than just that. There's a there's a way to view life and our businesses and our professional ambitions in a in a much softer way, in a way that where I at least believe, and I am very aware of both the masculine and feminine energies within myself, and I know in which context like one of those two are more dominant, and that has nothing to do with my gender either, right? That's just me acknowledging that there is these two poles and there's energy flowing at all times, and I think when I've as I've become more aware of that that other side of me, the side of me that, you know, I maybe didn't get nurtured into as a young boy, for example, I've just started seeing a, a much broader spectrum of how I would then define, you know, life profitability, right? What I would you know, kind of define as a profitable life, which isn't this very narrow pursuit of, hey, I need to build a very, very, very big business. And, you know, for me, we were, we've been speaking about WooCommerce, right? I was very, very young, when we got into, as I mentioned, that absolute kind of roller coaster and rocket ship. And it took me years, um, you know, and even just you know, beyond kind of you know, woo after I'd left to get to a point in my life where everything almost broke down. Because what I hadn't realized is as I was running on this very, very narrow path, I was creating so much collateral damage along the way. I was incurring so many life costs, you know, for, for myself and for others. And the, 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 the brutal part of that was I wasn't aware. And I reckon, like, I consider myself to be a pretty smart person, right? But I was not aware because I was so focused on just this one thing. So, um, as I said, I think that's, all of that is there, there's a definite a, a toxic masculinity involved in, in capitalism and entrepreneurship today. And I, I honestly hope that part of what my book does, at least, is, to start tackling some of those issues and to start illuminating what these alternative kind of options or paths might be. Over to you, Slim. Can you can you define life profitability? Like just just for like our listeners and myself, like like what like what what, what does that mean? Like uh, life profitability. Yeah. So um, what I wanted to do is. I firstly wanted to riff off of a word that most of us understand, right? Which is profitability in the financial sense. But life profitability essentially just flips that and kind of takes that definition of profitability slightly broader. So the idea there is, how do I build a business that is not just financially profitable, but truly life profitable? So not narrow, but much wider. And the way I would, I would try and kind of define or quantify that kind of wider or broader perspective is to say, you know, I, I've got a life portfolio. And my work and 
professional ambition and my business is just one one stock in that portfolio. But my family, my health, me sleeping well, me doing exercise, those things are part of it, right? Me having, you know, making time to geek out about wine and drink some good wine, that's part of my life portfolio. Um, playing FIFA, you know, on, on PlayStation, which is the only kind of gaming I do, that's part of that life portfolio. Similarly, there's bigger things there. My, I mean, I mentioned my desire for new challenges, my thirst for learning, like all those things, those are the things in my life portfolio. And what I effectively need to do if I want to take the lens from my business's kind of your standpoint is say, what do I need to do in my business so that I empower those things and not the other way around? Because I think we often, um, you know, so many entrepreneurs start out on their journeys and they have this vision of freedom that they want to pursue. Like, I want to work in the way I want, when I want, on what I want, et cetera. And then they all, they ultimately, like all of us have been there, I've been there, you get captured into a new thing. So you get some freedoms by all means, but then the worst kind of you know, freedom that we give up is the fact that our businesses are now live in our pockets and we're super connected. Like we never close an office door and just say, you know what, work is, you know, for tomorrow again, work is, you know, this is Friday, I'm going to have a weekend with friends and family, whatever kind of floats your boat. But we trade so many other freedoms for this thing that we want. So I'm trying to have a different kind of conversation there where it's like, hey, let's take a step back and figure out like, what does it actually mean to live and be human? And I don't think I, I have a lot of very strong opinions Again, like, you know, going, going back to capitalism, at least, right? Capitalism, capitalism is a human-made thing. And what we all acknowledge, at least, is humans are imperfect. Yet capitalism is like the predominant way in which we structure and live our lives at this stage. And I'm, I, 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 I've honestly had enough. Like, I'm not saying I'm not bullish, I'm not ambitious, I'm not an entrepreneur. But that's not the version of entrepreneurship that I'm, you know, keen on. Um, not for those that I care about. Yeah, I do. Um, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here a little bit. Um, obviously, there's so many aspects of what you've just said, and hopefully we can do that in the bonus content. Um, in Obviously, we only got 30 minutes, so I don't want listeners just to hear my voice because some say I speak too much anyway. Uh, um, but some of the response to some of the topics that you've put in the book is that oh, we got this white guy, you know, this white privilege guy talking about the work-life balance. You know, I'm sure he's a hard worker, but he's not on a minimum wage trying to feed his family. Um, how do you respond to some of that criticism that your book has received a little bit? Yeah, um, I think much of that is totally fair, right? I mean, I think... Um, you know, ultimately, if 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 the rule was that no person that achieved something or reached some form of enlightenment are allowed to share um, share some of their learnings or ideas because it gets pointed out that oh, you are only saying this because you've been successful, then I think we're failing as as a society in any way, right? Um, I think that's the first part of it. The second part of it is. Um, I think that I, I think capitalism and our economies need a reform, right? I, I think someone living on a minimum wage, they might not have the ability to pursue life profitability as I propose right now, because ultimately at the core of it, yes, money still kind of your pays bills. And they might not be able to create the kind of space that I propose um, for anyone pursuing life profitability. I totally acknowledge that as well. My hope is, and one of the key 
components in the book talks about concentric circles. And what I mean with concentric circles is you start with you, then it kind of you know, ripples outwards to those closest to you, your team members, your customers, stakeholders, et cetera, your society. And crucially, at least what I wanted to do with my team at Convergio was I wanted to figure out how can I have an impact. And instead of trying to solve one of these massive kind of global warming, worldwide poverty, et cetera, things that I'm probably too far away from and don't have the skills or the resources to tackle, what I instead tried to do was, A, how can I be a better entrepreneur, right? Which probably meant that I, need, I needed to do work on myself, right? And I needed to figure out my own family life. But then secondly, as a leader and a builder of my team, how can I help my team members do similar in their lives? Because what eventually happens is if I can do that and I can empower my team to do that, then we're all rippling outwards. And hopefully in future somewhere, because we're all pulling in a similar direction, we're helping those people that can't pursue life profitability on their own because of historical kind of disadvantages and just an imperfect system that got them into that space immediately, right? So ultimately, I think the the TLDR there, there Jonathan, is like it has to start somewhere, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like someone has to try and do something about this, and I, I'm not I'm not um, you know kind of the messiah here at all. I'm just a single person that is willing to stand up and say, hey, I've got a couple of ideas and I hope to inspire some people to try some of these things out mm. to help it a bit build a better society. Yeah, just to respond um, and then get a response and then we have to wrap up the podcast part of the show, is that um, I'm not a great fan of um, those that provide like the four-hour week concept of entrepreneurship I've got to be honest I, I think that's total bullshit uh, um, absolute bullshit and when I have people um, they're treated with respect if they're really bought into that ideology um, but I think they're deluding themselves I work crazy hours but I'm single I'm a I'm 57 I've got I, Seven years ago, I went through a messy divorce. Uh, um, but um, I work crazy hours, but I choose to, and I can, um, I'm in control to some extent. I work five and a half hour, five and a half days a week. Um, it's best not really to call me on Saturday afternoons, and definitely, unless it's a life emergency, don't call me on Sundays. But the rest of the time, I'm pretty accessible um, because I'm in business. And if um, I can choose not to be, um, so you've got you to accept. But there's got to be boundaries as well. Is, so is that one of the things you're trying to get across, is that you've got to understand your own boundaries, uh, understand yourself a bit, and there's, and there's got to be kind of boundaries personally and collectively? Yeah, and I, yes, but I think boundaries are an important part of that. I think the key there is just that I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all model here. And if, if if all three of us kind of, you know, worked through, for example, the worksheets that I have in the book to define what life profitability looks like for us, we would each have a, a kind of a perfectly unique and different version thereof. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Like the one thing I didn't want to do with the book is to propose a perfect blueprint which says, hey guys, just take these 10 steps and your life is going to be exponentially better. Because I also don't believe in that. I believe all of us are too unique to follow a single blueprint or live our lives by a single blueprint. So I like, 
and and to that, like I'm mostly agnostic then in terms of how people structure their lives in business. I think there's a few core things, there, right? Which is, you know, for starters, like your business needs to align with your personal values, right? As an example, like if it doesn't align with your personal values, it doesn't really matter how you know how you work, what you work on, who you work with. Like there's always going to be that misconnect, and that is the part. And I was speaking about life portfolio, right? I think. I think that should be important to everyone because business and work isn't everything. And just having the clarity and awareness about what that is, is probably already better than going through life and just looking at to-do lists that are never ending. That's great. Going to wrap up the podcast part of the show. AD's agreed to stay on. Um, we're going to be talking a, um, a little bit more in depth in some of his, the big subject things that he's um, alluded to in the podcast part of the show. So, AD, what's the best ways for people to learn more about you and some of your ideas? Yeah, um, probably two places. Um, the one would be if you're on social media, Twitter, um, at AD, ADII. Um, I'm relatively active there. Um, and then otherwise, my personal website, which is ADII.me, where there's details about the book, as well of, as about 10 years of, of writing um, about similar-ish things um, as well. So go there. And Stephen, how can people find out more about you and your company? Yeah, head over to zipfish.io, run a speed test, see how much faster your website can be. That's great. And um, Stephen and his team have helped with the WP Tonic website. They made it a much more speed machine, even like any old WordPress website to say it's um, a little bit crammed with plugins and other stuff would be a slightly understatement. But he did a good cleanup, him and his team. I highly recommend them. Also, before we um, call the webcast, um, the podcast part of the show to an end, I want to tell you about a, uh, a live webinar or educational seminar me and Spencer Forum are doing on Friday the 9th of April. Um, basically, it's about how to replace click funnels, or as I call them, dick funnels, and Shopify uh, um, with um, WooCommerce and launch flows um, at literally a fraction of the cost, and you get more flexibility and power. It's going to be a fantastic webinar. You can watch it on YouTube live, and you'll be able to ask us questions that's at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. All you have to do is go to the WP Tonic YouTube channel. You see it um, right in front of you, and you just click the reminder button, and you'll be able to join us. We'll be back next week with another great guest, another great conversation. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.